Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cisco Optics Podcast, where we talk about pluggable optics for networks. Single-mode fiber transformed telecommunications in the 1970s and 1980s by raising the ceiling for communication bandwidth over transoceanic distances. It took years of R&D to get there, though. Remember, we're sending light through tens of kilometers of glass without regeneration. I mean, imagine how pure the glass of an 80-kilometer-thick window needs to be in order to see through it. This is episode 44, and we begin a new conversation with Roisin McCool, expert in fiber networks for telecommunications and scientific instrumentation at Corning Optical Communications. We begin with a background before joining Corning and how it prepared her for her current position there. Roisin McCool is a senior market and technology development manager for Corning Optical Fiber and Cable, specializing in single-mode fiber and access networks. She provides technical and market insight for Corning's global fiber and cable product line management teams. Rasheen has 30 years of experience in engineering and optical communication systems and subsystems, including many years designing networks for advanced radio telescopes. Rasheen has held project management and coordination lead roles in diverse teams throughout her career. Rasheen is the acting chair of the Women in Fiber Committee for the FTTH Council Europe and is the winner of the Corning Optical Communications You Make a Difference Award 2022 for her leadership of diversity initiatives in Corning. Rasheen holds a master's degree in electrical and electronic engineering from the University of Nottingham, United Kingdom, and is a chartered member of the Institute of Engineering and Technology. And now join me as I talk with Rasheen McCool. Rasheen, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks so much for making the time. I, I understand uh, it's it's uh, a bit late for you in the day, being in the UK. Yeah, I'm I'm based in the UK, so it's it's my afternoon, but it's not so late. You're not you're not digging into my evening. <laughs> okay, great. Um, well, you know what? Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with just uh, your background, like how you got into fiber optics and what led you to Corning. Yeah, certainly. So um, I did a, a, a Master of Engineering degree in uh, Electrical and Electronic Engineering with French. So I spent a year in France studying Electronic Engineering. And um, oh, wow. straight, straight out of college, I got a job at a British cable company called BICC. And it was a very exciting time. I was in their technology centre. And it was in the early days, so this is sort of early 1990s, um, it was the early days of optical fibre amplifiers um, and sort of a burgeoning um, development of networks and network techniques. And so one of my first jobs was to build an optical amplifier. Um, I didn't actually build an optical amplifier. I managed to build a laser because it's not so easy to splice those uh, erbium dope fibers to standard single mode fiber. Um, I mean, we we'll probably get onto that later, but um, you know, the splicing of fibers and uh, that interface created all these reflections in the amplifying fiber. So I ended up making a laser, but that was. A real learning experience, and um, I, uh, I I did some work with fiber lasers as well when I was in okay. grad school. Yes, yeah, there's a yeah. connection I certainly, there. What what kind of splicing did you do? 
So I was just instruments. This was really in the very, very early days of in dope fiber amplifiers. So people were just kind of figuring it out. And I was trying to do a standard splice between an erbium dope fiber amplifier and a standard single mode fiber. And of course, Mm. the the uh, numerical apertures the um of those erbium dope fiber amplifiers are quite different from a standard single mode so uh, it's difficult to get a good connection and what you really need is a sort of tapered fiber or something of that sort which i didn't have at the time i was just right in my early days of, of figuring it out um so uh, you know even with uh, getting hold of some good isolators it 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 still wasn't a great optical fiber amplifier um but so, it was so definitely curious, a learning what, experience what uh, around what year was this this would have been about 1993 94 something like that okay so they had fusion splicers at that time right yeah yeah, it was a few I remember, uh, I was using, yeah. Like Fujikura had one. Yeah. Uh, another Japanese company. I forgot which one. Urukawa, uh, maybe. Yeah. 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 And then, I don't know if you remember, um, an American company in New Jersey, Vitran, uh, no, a startup no. made a splicer. That was in the late 90s, I think. Yeah. Well, I became very familiar with splicers during my career because after I'd finished in BICC and I did lots of different, I didn't just fail at doing a fiber amplifier. I did lots of projects for them. Um, I went, I had my children and I wanted, uh, I wanted a job that would give me a bit of flexibility while I had very young children. And so I moved into academia and I was the fiber optic engineer at a place called Jodrell Bank Observatory. So Jodrell Bank mm. Observatory is a big radio astronomy observatory in the UK. And my job was to connect all their radio antennas with fiber. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so I did a lot of splicing there. Um, And that was really interesting because those radio telescopes, they're actually quite analogous to a 5G network in the sense that there are these big antennas creating loads of data and they all have to Mm -hmm. connect up to a central point. Um, Except the data rates were just enormous because these are gigahertz radio receivers we had to digitize that signal. And the signal is the hiss of the universe. So it's basically Gaussian mm-hmm. noise until they correlate it together and get the signals out of it. So it couldn't be compressed. So the data weights were really enormous for that epoch. Um, but of course, my kids grew up and I thought, okay, it's time to leave academia and uh, and join the real Cause, world. Cause so much time and on your hands. I joined Cord- <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of busy, but but I think there is um there's the 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 world of academia moves slowly, mm. let's say, and uh, I guess um although it's really interesting to connect these fiber optics to interferometers and radio telescopes, 
the world of mobiles, 4G, 5G was starting to mm. come through and there was something really exciting about the idea of not just being able to connect sort of a few radio telescopes together, but actually like the, you know, whole communities and whole countries with this advanced mobile right. networks. And so I joined um, Corning about six years ago now. And I've been working as um, one of their uh, senior market and technology development managers since. And that's a really interesting job because it sort of sits on the on the line between technology and commercial. So it's about understanding what customers need, understanding what that means for future products, really trying to understand where the value is in products customers so that's kind of me in a nutshell so even though you were very experienced uh, and an expert in fiber and the the lasers the application while you were in academia was basically in the the microwave is it microwave range 10 gigahertz or so the the radio the radio telescopes themselves are uh, they're, they're using sort of gigahertz scale radio antennas, but every single one of those dishes in a radio telescope is connected by fiber. Oh, okay. And it's connected by fiber for basically three networks. The first is the data network. The second is the local oscillator mm, network. Okay. And the third is the monitoring control network. Okay. Um... So I imagine you must have learned quite a bit about astronomy and <laughs> RF technology. So how was it uh, moving to yeah. a place where it, it seems, at least from the outside, to be predominantly an optical, uh, optics-centric uh, focus? Um so I, d I did learn a little bit about astronomy by osmosis, really. It's surprising what you pick up when you're in those sorts of environments. Um, but one of the things that I think is the same is clearly the technology. I was, I was an optical engineer and I was designing optical networks. So that's sort of the, a similar idea. Um, but one of the things that I did a lot of was system engineering. And I did a lot of coordination of international teams. So that's what you might call international science politics, mm. um, which, is, which I say is like normal politics, but everyone's got a PhD. <laughs> Wait, sorry. So um, that, that was something that you I, did while in academia also or something you okay yeah and yeah. and that carried yeah, so over these are you know teams right across the world and so that's something that you carried over to your new role yeah because because being able to talk to different teams cross-functional teams being able to coordinate people around an idea is one of the things i do in corning which is to take what customers need to take that into technical teams and to manufacturing teams and kind of get people galvanized around an idea of a new product or 
you know, uh, an adjustment to an existing product or that kind okay. of thing. Um, so that was very similar. And also the analytics. So I'm, I really, really enjoy analytical aspects of the job that I do and some of the some of the some of the market development work requires an ability to look at trends within the market and figure out where they will lead and have logical justifications for that um, and in academia some of my work was associated with analytics so mm. for instance so I transferred a lot of what I learned in radio astronomy and physics into Corning. Uh, there were a lot of transferable skills, but what what I what I was able to do in Corning, I think, because it's such a big organisation and and so involved in commercial telecommunication network, is is just that the work has much greater reach. So. <clears throat> Excuse me. So do you find I assume that you the the communication with with uh international colleagues uh are, are you are you talking about working with people within Corning internationally or or customers internationally or both? Uh, actually, well, customers internationally, so networks right across the world from, you know, long-haul networks to mobile networks to access networks, you know, those those networks are impacting on people's okay. lives right across the world, you know. Uh, I, I mean, everybody's life. And if you think about the recent pandemic, I mean, they were absolutely necessary for us to engage yeah. You know, so so that they really have an impact in that way. So, do you find are there differences, uh, like are there differences in preferences around the world that translate into? That was the first part of my new conversation with Rashin McCool. Next time, we'll get into geography. Hey, we have a new website. It's optics.podcastpage.io. That's optics.podcastpage.io. You can either listen there or use the same podcast platform you've been using all along. Please subscribe. Better yet, leave a review, especially if you use Apple Podcasts. Remember, we're part of the Cisco Podcast Network where you can find other great Cisco podcasts too. We also have educational videos on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com and search on Cisco Optics. Thank you for listening. This is Pat Chow, Product Manager at Cisco Optics. The next episode is part two of my conversation with Rasheen McCool. Until next time. Mm -hmm.